Blair Palmer and welcome to the Punks in Suits podcast, bringing the leadership thinking, beliefs, philosophies and practices behind punky, startup-y next stage businesses to you, even if your company's not quite there yet. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Punks in Suits podcast. I hope you are really well. I've had a request for a podcast about a specific topic and that's what I'm going to bring to you this week. By the way, I love it, love it when people uh, suggest topics for me to talk about because otherwise every week I have to think about something new and I never really know if this is the stuff that you want me to talk about. So this week at least I know that one person <laughs> wants to hear this and I imagine if one person wants to hear it then probably there are maybe two or three more people who'd like to hear about it too. And the subject is parent-child dynamics. Now, this is something that I have talked about in podcasts before I've touched on and anyone who's working with me one-to-one or has worked with me in their team before will have heard me talk about this too because I think it's really prevalent in organisations, this dynamic. But what I haven't done, certainly on the podcast, is to explain what I really mean. So this week, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to explain what these terms mean, where I'm seeing parent-child dynamics in organisations, and at the end, I've got a few ideas about how to get out of this cycle of being either in parent or in child, and most of us are tripping between the two uh, pretty constantly. Now, I'm not an expert in the psychology of parent-child. What I want to share with you is some of the top line and then my own interpretations and where I've seen this. So if you are an expert, if you've read any of um, the work of Eric Byrne, who is the psychiatrist or was a psychiatrist back in the 1950s, who developed the concept of transactional analysis, where this parent-adult-child dynamic was first developed, Um, If you know his work intimately, then you might be a little bit frustrated at my high level definitions here. But I think what's important is that I explain this in a way that you recognise that we don't get too bogged down in the details of the theory and that we get on to what you can do about it. So let's start by talking about what parent and child are and then the alternative to parent and child, which is adult. So the parent state is where people behave or think and feel in a kind of unconscious way like their parents or other parental figures. So, for instance, um, being uh, quite controlling, this kind of slight sense of superiority that a lot of parents seem to have over their children And I'll come to how this manifests in the workplace in a moment. But we can imagine, can't we, the sort of parental, patriarchal style of being towards other people who are in some way less adequate, less evolved, less mature than you. So that's the parent. On the other side is the child. And this is where we act or think or feel in a way that we might have done in childhood or as children do when when we see them around the sort of typical archetypal child. 
So we may be quite emotional or we may be uh, quite wild and irrational or spontaneous. So these are some of the things that happen uh, in the child personality. And then the third state is the adult state. Now I will come back to exactly what adult looks like a little bit later in this podcast, but it's basically about objectivity. Now this is where I have a slight problem with it and I will come back later because I just don't think that any of us is really capable of objectivity, but it is about stepping away from the emotional responses of the child or the superiority response of the parent to something that is less attached to that baggage. And just to go into a little bit more detail, there are two different types of parent reaction or response or state. The first is the nurturing type of parent. Now this can be positive, so genuine nurturing, genuine support, genuine loving, and it can slip into a more negative type of nurturing, basically spoiling the child, um, which I'm sure none of us ever do with our own children. So you've got the genuine love and, and supporting kind of nurturing, and then you've got slightly dipping into spoiling the child. And equally, the second kind of parental state is the controlling state. The more positive would be structuring. So that is constructive criticism, for instance, or support around the child uh, to, to help them to grow and develop. And the more negative style of controlling is critical, undermining um, that kind of uh, unconstructive criticism, we might say. The child state, too, has two different um, states within it. So the first would be what's called adapted. And there are, again, two kinds of adapted. Cooperative, which is very positive, the ability to work and play with others. Or the compliant slash resistant. So two sides of a coin here, which is more negative. So either just going along with things or resisting and pushing up against uh, the adult, in effect. And the second kind of subdivision of the, the, the child state is what's known as free. Again, this has got a positive and a negative. So the positive would be spontaneous and fun and, you know, uh, just being able to be in the moment. And the alternative, the more negative, is the immature. So immature emotional response, um, what we would generally call childishness when we see it in adults. So this is what you've got. You've got the parent who is either nurturing or controlling and either positive or negative nurturing or positive or negative controlling. And you've got the child who is either adapted or free and adapted is either positive or negative and free is either positive or negative. And we slip between all of these different styles of parent and child constantly unless we're able to embody the adult state. And the adult state can draw on both the positive of the parent and the positive of the child while remaining just one cohesive person. 
Now that's a pretty brief overview. If I've gone too fast for you, I will in an upcoming newsletter put this down in, in words so you can actually read it and kind of get your head around it. And of course, you can Google uh, Eric Byrne, B-E-R-N-E, and transactional analysis, and you can read some of this yourself. You'll, you'll notice that I've lifted some of the language like word for word out of Wikipedia because I think, you know, uh, why reinvent the wheel here? It's been expressed very well by other people. And uh, I've picked the, the language that I think most accurately represents what I see when I go into organisations and see these dynamics playing out. So how do these dynamics manifest themselves in organisations and in our relationships in the workplace? Well, just to reiterate, my approach is more observational. So what I'm about to talk about is based on the concepts, but it is adjusted to reflect what I see and why I think this behaviour goes on. The first thing to say is that I believe that the culture in most organisations, which is still primarily industrial age, intentionally creates parent-child dynamics. It is not an accident. It is not an unhappy byproduct of the way that we run our businesses. It is very intentional. You have the boss and you have the worker or the employee. And this is reinforced. In the past, it has been reinforced with separate cafeterias, or in fact, the worker had a cafeteria or a canteen and the boss had a restaurant, um, different toilets, different floors of the building so up until recently and I know this still goes on in some companies but up until recently of course it was very common that the top level in the organization literally the top floor was for the most senior people and that's where you would find them. I went to do some work quite recently at a very big football club and the senior directors are literally on a different level with a balcony that overlooks where the workers work. So they can literally look down on people from above. So you've got people working on different floors that denotes their level of seniority. Different levels of access to physical spaces, so areas where more senior people can go and more junior people can't go, and different levels of access to information. So industrial age organisations are basically patriarchal and the idea is we need to protect the children from information or from uh, responsibilities that they won't be able to handle. So we, the parents, can handle complexity but they won't be able to because they're just children. And this worked really well for the industrial age organisations because, as I've said many times before, what you want is a, a machine and the machine runs best when it is highly structured and when people know their place and they don't step out of their place. So all of this uh, differentiation between the parents and the children reinforces the, the mechanisation of people in the workplace. One of the things we also see in the industrial age uh, patriarchal hierarchy is we want to keep emotions out. So parents believe themselves able to keep emotions out, but children are not capable of keeping emotions out. So when children in the hierarchy, or when junior people, or when anyone in fact shows emotion, it undermines their authority. Now, 
and they are perceived as children for showing this emotion. Now, there are some exceptions. So anger may be associated with parent behaviour and therefore might be more acceptable. Some of the stuff that goes on in the boardroom is highly emotional, but it's of the parent kind of emotional. So dressing people down, being highly critical, berating people, swearing, throwing stuff about, physically throwing stuff about or metaphorically throwing your weight around. These are actually perceived as parent-related emotions and therefore they're kind of acceptable. But crying, being upset, being hurt, um, being insecure, these are associated with children and therefore any show of those kind of emotions will definitely in this patriarchal hierarchy undermine your authority. In this parent-child dynamic the carrot and stick are the way we get stuff done. So either punishment or reward. We get people to do things or to not do things, to stop doing things in very simplified ways. We assume, the parent assumes, that the recipient of the carrot or stick is not capable of complex reasoning or complex motivations and will only respond to simple towards or away from threats or reward. Now the parent allows themselves to be complex they know that their emotions are complex and their motivations are complex. They know that money, for instance, or a job title is not enough to motivate them. They know that their lives are more complex, but they don't allow that the children in the organisation will have such complexity around their emotions. And this is where we see benefit schemes and bonuses and the promotion ladder, the annual review, performance management, kind of three strikes and you're out, uh, bottom 10% get fired every year. This is where this comes from, that the, the children in the organisation, the junior people in the organisation, uh, the ones that are not in the top of the hierarchy in very senior management positions, can only ever respond to really simple towards or away from carrot, stick, punishment or reward. However, <laughs> so that's parent-child, right? However, of course, while some of this will definitely be familiar to you and particularly if you think back over your career, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago or longer, you definitely will have seen some of this behaviour. I also think that something a little more complex and confusing for the parent is going on in organisations today, which is not so much parent-child, but parent-teenager. So, in this scenario, the child is growing up and is not satisfied to simply be told what to do. The child wants more responsibility. They ask for more ownership. They want more rights to express themselves. And the parent, which read that the manager or the more senior person tries to evolve and to give this to the growing teenager and is then surprised when the teenager doesn't seem to embrace the responsibilities and the rights that they've actually asked for. So it's a bit like the teenagers, teenagers saying they want to move out but still coming home at the weekend and bringing their laundry for their mum to do. And this is very frustrating for the parent. So the parent has been very generous 
instead said that the teenager can stay out until midnight and in as a result the teenager comes back drunk at one o'clock in the morning and then doesn't do his part of the bargain by keeping his bedroom tidy or changing the toilet rolls when they use the last sheet so the teenager seems to want all of the benefits of adulthood without the boring bits now i'm going to break away from the metaphor for a moment and and talk to you about how this uh, how, how i see this playing out so we see this in teams where the manager is asked by the team members for more responsibility, for more ownership. They want to flex their leadership muscles a bit. They want to take on more responsibility. They want to have more impact. And so the manager gives the team members opportunities to sit on special interest groups or to influence the future of the organization, to be involved in special projects, to get involved in strategy, all of this to give them more responsibility, more ownership. And then the team members complain that they have too much to do, that these meetings are just an extra burden and that, you know, they're not getting paid enough to take all this on. So the parent, the leader of the team, the manager of the team, is trying to adapt, but inevitably keeps slipping back into the parent of child mode because they don't trust that the teenager is really up for the challenge, which is not surprising because of the way the teenager is behaving. So this isn't exactly parent-child. This is a much more complex and subtle dynamic, which is incredibly frustrating because you have this slightly stroppy teenager. And by the way, the, the parent in this scenario so it's their team, they're trying to be magnanimous and, and distribute the responsibility to people who've asked for it, they often then become the teenager in another scenario when they're given too much responsibility or they're expected to step up in ways that they think are kind of unfair um, because where's the reward? So all of us are slipping in and out of all of these roles all the time. It isn't like you're either a teenager or a child or a parent permanently. We're all flailing about between them all altogether. So the third way of being, or the fourth way, if you count the teenager as the third way, is to be an adult. Now, I said right at the beginning of this podcast that one of the ways that adult has been described is as objective. Now, I don't think that any of us is really objective. We're not objectives about we're not objective about our, ourselves and we're not objective about the situations that we're in. I also don't think that we can turn off emotion. And why would we want to? I've said many times in these shows that emotion is one of the things that human beings bring to the workplace and it's going to become increasingly important that we do that. So we don't want to turn off our emotions. But there is another way of thinking about adult, which isn't about being objective or neutral, having no emotions. And that's described as, I'm okay, you're okay. So I feel good about myself, and I also feel good about you and your competence. Now, this is really interesting because it starts with, I feel good about me. If you're in a parent-child or parent-teenager struggle, you are, as the parent, dependent on the child growing up 
before you can let go of the reins. So it will always be a power struggle. You will always be stuck. But if you can break this cycle with I'm okay to start with, then the the development starts with you. You get to ask yourself, do I trust myself? In what ways am I being a parent? What systems do I have around me or do we have in this organisation that reinforce parenting? The parent will often also slip into child and back. So part of the development, the self-development is in what ways do I become a child in my relationship? Maybe in my relationship with my boss or with my peers or with the customer. So when you're in parent mode and you're thinking the work starts, the development work starts with me being okay with myself, then your job becomes to build your own self-esteem, your self-belief, your humility, not taking yourself too seriously, being able to live with your flaws, to understand them and let them be known to others, bringing your whole self to the workplace, being here now, letting go of your baggage or at least knowing when your baggage is playing a part and seeing how your ego reacts and then because you've identified that you've got an ego and how it's reacting, being able to minimise its influence, being able to spot beliefs and assumptions which present themselves as facts, things like noticing your thinking around always or never or should or shouldn't. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. All of this to me, all of this awareness helps you to break this cycle of being the parent. And then once you've accepted or done the work around I'm okay or simultaneously to doing the work around I'm okay, you can work on seeing others as okay. Now, I want to be really clear what I mean here. I don't mean making sure that others are okay. That is very parental. I mean shifting your perspectives so that you can see others as okay, just as they are. This again is about beliefs and assumptions. It's about letting go of the beliefs and assumptions that lead you to say things out loud or in your head like people should this or they shouldn't that, people can or can't, trying to control undervaluing people or distrusting people and shifting more to an open and curious state of mind. All of this requires slowing down your thinking and as a consequence, slowing down your reaction. So let's move away from the theory now into what you can practically do, how you can slow down your thinking and slow down your reactions so you can get away from this ego-driven, fear-driven fight-or-flight response that triggers either behaving as a parent or behaving as a child. Because your very first reaction to some piece of news that seems threatening is the amygdala reaction, the the ancient part of the brain. So the the fear reaction, fight or flight, freeze, all all of that kind of uh, immediate one-dimensional response comes from the amygdala. 
what happens. So let's say there is news that there are going to be some redundancy, some job losses in your organization. So the very first thing that happens is up pops your ego and this becomes all about you, what this means for you. It's a threat. And so you slip into either child or parent reaction. So if you're going to be the parent, you're going to try to control or to undermine or to change position so that you can stay in the right and therefore stay safe. Or if you're going to be the child, you're going to pretzel yourself into some weird shape to try to fit in, or you're going to become reckless or argumentative, or you're going to run away and avoid. All of this is kind of child stuff. So this is a strong one-dimensional reaction. It's anger or fear or pain, pretty base kind of stuff. But if you're able to slow down your thinking or slow down your reaction, you're able to notice that and let it pass. So I'm not saying you don't have that reaction. You have the reaction, but then you notice it and let it pass. And then you see what comes. So you notice the ego. You notice the fear or the anger or the pain. And you start to feel more complex emotions that lie beneath maybe loss, maybe loneliness, maybe abandonment, maybe a lack of self-belief, confusion. These are more complex emotions. And once you notice the complexity of your emotions and you've slowed down a little, you can ask a critical question, the critical question. What if this is not about me? Because the truth is, it's not about you. When you ask yourself, what if this is not about me, you're able to see the situation as a bystander, as if you personally are not implicated and you're able to find some peace by stepping back from this very personal reaction to what's happening. So when you step back, you may be able to feel playful about what's happening. Now, that may seem strange. I'm saying, well, okay, let's take the example of job losses and I'm asking you to be playful, but maybe that is possible. Maybe once the initial response, the amygdala response, fight or flight, fear, pain, anger has passed, you're able to play around with the scenario. What opportunities does this present for you? How could this be quite fun? You're able to collaborate and partner one of the things that happens when there are announcements of job losses is that everyone becomes, well, every man for themselves. But if you're able to let go of that, so let go of the fear, let go of being a child in the situation or a parent in the situation, you might be able to collaborate with others. And together you might be able to form a solution. So in organisations where, I'm sure you've heard stories like this, where companies have decided the staffing companies have been presented with the option we can either make redundancies or all of us can take a pay cut and reduce our hours. Sometimes the staff say, let's reduce our, our pay and our hours so that none of us loses their job. That is a beautiful example of collaboration and partnership. And it comes from a place without fear of threat. You may realise if you step back and ask yourself, what if this is not about me? you may realise that your job here is simply to support others. And what an amazing role for you as a leader to be able to support others. It's not about you at all. Or 
you may be in a position to offer constructive criticism, to feedback, to come up with alternative suggestions, but from an adult place, not from a childish place of fear or a parental place of control. From here, you realise that the people around you are amazing, just like you. Yes, they're different. Yes, they are weird. Yes, they have biases of their own. But they are all as adequate and inadequate as you are. One of the things I, one of the reasons I think this is so important right now is that the problems of today, the problems in our society, the problems in the business world cannot be solved by one person. They can't be solved by a handful of parents at the top of the organisation and everyone else is a child just doing as they're told. They also can't be solved by a committee, by the way. So I'm not suggesting that the alternative to parent-child is everyone sits around and from the adult place, we all have to agree. I think you know that I don't think that. But what is required is an environment where people can bring their whole adult self to the workplace. The adult self still has all the playfulness and adaptability of the child and the nurturing and experience of the parent but without all the baggage, or rather in awareness of all the baggage that they bring. Adultness allows leadership to emerge. The old leader was parental. It was reliant on a compliant child. But that old style of parental leadership doesn't work when we need adults, and when the child isn't a child anymore anyway, but is a teenager. I'm not going to say that this transition to an adult workplace is easy, but when you start with yourself and focusing in on yourself and doing the work to get to a place where I'm okay, you still have plenty of work to do. So rather than trying to get everyone else to grow up, you focus 100% on your evolution to adulthood. I should say that it is very hard for other people to be a parent or be a child when you're being an adult. So you are helping them to grow and evolve as well by adopting the adult state. But you can't do this. You can't be an adult just to expose them and their childishness or their, their patriarchal attitudes. And you can't do it to model to them what an adult looks like because that is kind of parental, right? You're doing it because your job is to grow yourself. That's it. I would love to hear from you about how these dynamics play out in your organisation and what you're doing to become more adult. It's certainly a journey for me. I do revert for sure into parent and child quite frequently, particularly when I'm with my family. They can attest I am frequently to be heard saying things like, oh, mom, oh, dad, for sure, very teenage. But increasingly, I am able to hold on to the adult part of myself to step back or to at least notice when the parent or the child is getting in the way to keep my cool and to apologise when I lose it. Talking of which, Here's someone who's very familiar with me losing it to share with you information about the newsletter and how to stay in touch with your stories and ideas and please recommendations for topics for future podcasts. Here is the lovely Ivy Palmer. We'd love to hear from you, especially if today's podcast has inspired you. You can also stay in touch with us on Twitter at Blair Palmer, Instagram at Blair Leeds Palmer, 
or by email play at thatpeoplething.com. And don't forget to rate or review this podcast on iTunes. It will help other people to find us and share these ideas. We was really, 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 really appreciate you doing that. Now, please, I'm begging you on my hands and knees. I'm really begging you. Bye.